0: おはようございます。メイドインえ、第2話はまだ、あの、え、半分緊張、Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Made in Japan. This is your host, Elliot Kanti. I hope everyone is having
1: a restful holiday, whether you are listening within or outside of Japan. So today's episode is a continuation of the previous podcast with guest Alistair Gale of the Wall Street Journal. Last time, we mainly discussed his background, but this time we focus on the major issues facing Japan, uh, Japanese society today. Uh, mainly immigration, the effects of a shrinking population on Japanese rural communities, and also the arrest and detention of Carlos Ghosn, the former chairman at Nissan Motors. Given his background and experience abroad, Alistair has a fascinating perspective on Japan and its future, and I really enjoy talking to him. For those of you who have not listened to episode two, uh, start there to catch up with the conversation. And for those of you who have, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Now, one final message. I will be returning to the United States tomorrow for the first time in about two years. Uh, Packing for these trips always comes with a strange mix of excitement and emotion, uh, as it is always a bizarre experience for me to be reintroduced to my native culture, so to speak. Anyway, I have a few interesting guests lined up for January, so I'm looking to keep the podcast going after returning for the new year. I really appreciate you listening to this,
0: and I hope everyone enjoys what remains of 2018, and I will see you all again in 2019. Take care.
1: So outside of curling and strawberries, what are some of the other stories that have caught your attention since you've returned to Japan?
2: Well, I mean, the economic story in Japan, of course, is um, fascinating. Um, We're going through Mm. a big experiment um, that, uh, you know, other countries will be looking at. Um, Probably Japan is a sort of leading indicator of some of the stresses that um, other certainly advanced Um, developed countries will face, you know, including the issue of uh, aging society, um, low birth rate. um, And of course, you know, the government is pursuing this policy of of Abenomics, um, which has been sort of a mixed bag in terms of the results it's produced. Um, You know, the government has sort of basically got the central bank to flood the economy with cash but that hasn't really um, had much of an impact Um, and the deregulation process that uh, was supposed to be part of Abenomics hasn't really taken off. Having said that the the economy has been growing for around a year or so so you can't say that uh, you know it's been a complete failure um, but, you know, the eco- economic story is very important to us at the Wall Street Journal. Of course, we cover it in detail. Mm. So I've been looking at aspects of that and trying to um, dig into some of the sort of deep issues there. One of those is, of course, immigration, because sure. now, now Japan is opening the door to a limited extent um, to allow blue collar foreign workers in. And that's right. something that um, it's been resistant to for a long period of time. But we're about to see, you know, another experiment in how Japan um, can allow a degree of immigration, because essentially it has to. Um, it's tried yeah. to bring more women into the workforce, more older people into the workforce, encourage people to have more children. Um, but ultimately, there is no choice but to allow some immigra- immigration. So that's something I'm working on at the moment. And um, it's it's a really fascinating subject. Yeah, yeah, it is.
1: Uh, Because Japan is on the exact opposite side of the spectrum of many Western societies right now, right? Um, In the United States, obviously, Trump is looking to build a wall. In your country, in the UK, right, you have Brexit, which immigration sort of uh, spawned uh, that political movement.
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of passive resistance to it. I mean, it's just not popular politically. That's why no one has done it. You know, there's um, the opinion polls show consistently uh, that people don't want large scale immigration. Um, and that's something that the, you know, government has to contend with. Um, right. But the the interesting thing, I mean, what we're doing is looking at uh, how this is going to work, um, what the, you know, the sort of mechanics of um, allowing more people in are the, the sort of different visa categories, what jobs they'll be doing, how they're going to fit into s- societies. So, right. Um, but the interesting thing, really, for me is, you know, this kind of has shown that the idea that somehow Japan is like a fortress nation, where you know you have to keep out the uh, the barbarians from overseas, is is kind <laughs> of overblown. You know, the interesting thing now that we're on the cusp of allowing. You know immigration. And of course, we've we've there are a large number of foreigners in in Japan, mostly in skilled jobs. You know the kind of jobs that you and I do, right? Um, but but letting in um, blue collar workers, you know, adds a different sort of dimension to this. And what's interesting is there isn't actually a whole lot of resistance to this. Right. You know, if you look on the on the political um, in the political debate, it's essentially concerns about uh, the welfare of people you know foreigners when they work here and how they will fit in to society and ultimately the main issue for many japanese at least as far as opinion polls shows and i think and i think you know anecdotally you probably agree as well mm. that that the concern is not oh my god they're going to sort of dilute our culture and uh you know we'll no longer be fully japanese right it's just how will they fit in day to day will you know the issues of you know, communication, will they be able to communicate in Japanese? Mm. Will they, you know, sort of be able to fit in with our customs and culture right down to the, you know, pretty mundane issues of putting out the garbage on the right days, which is pretty, you know, it's mundane, but it's important that you do it right because it creates a lot of social friction if you get it wrong. Yeah. It's really, it's really the, the sort of nitty gritty stuff that people are concerned about. I think, Mm. you know, and, you know the interesting thing for me coming back here after many years is seeing more foreigners working in places like convenience stores, right? And the interaction with um, you know mainly Asian uh, outsiders that that you have you know limited. Of course, you're just in a convenience store. You're buying an onigiri or something. It's not like you're going to have a long conversation, right? But this works perfectly well, mm. um, you know. And I think it's changing. You know without sort of getting too oriental orientalist and you know Westerner explaining how the Japanese think I think I do think it's you know making um, people see that it's no big deal right you can um, relate to people from other countries you can interact with them on a daily basis right they do they do actually they can pick up the the language right uh, they can get used to the customs and you get the benefits of their culture and, and customs you know if you get to know People and it's the whole issue of how well you know uh, Japanese communities will sort of um, integrate themselves with 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 foreigners. Um, but anyway, I, mm. think, I think the interesting thing is there isn't actually that much resistance to this immigration plan. It's more a question of mechanics and how do people fit in, uh, and that's quite encouraging. You know, because as you mentioned uh, in the West. Um, you know, there's this huge backlash against against immigration. Right. It's a fun, It's a fundamentally different issue because you're talking about, you know, in the case of Europe, you know, refugees coming right. in. Um, in the US, uh, you know, the way that Trump has framed this is that um, people from from Mexico, in particular, are somehow threatening. So yeah. So you know, Japan is not is fundamentally not having the same experience and not having the same debate but the irony of course is that that japan is now the one that having been resistant to immigration is seems like uh they're the you know um the one that's opening the door arguably you know just a few inches but nonetheless um is sort of moving in the different in a different direction to those in the west and that's really interesting for us when we report on this and we need to you know find out it's going to be an experiment and we'll find out how it pans out, whether they've done things, whether they're doing things right or not. And you can argue that there's elements of, of what Japan is doing, which are not really ethical in terms of, you know, some of these blue collar workers will not be able to bring their families. There's a limited period of time, right? They, they can be here. So, uh, you know, there's an argument that, that, uh, you should be more kind of, um, you know, open to people being around for a long period of time and give them the opportunity to, to sort of grow and flourish in the, this country. Um, but it's an interesting experiment. and I think Japan is sort of trying to manage it in a way that doesn't produce the same kind of tensions and frictions as happened in the West. And of course, mm. there, there will be some problems along the way. There'll be some incidents, you know, um, uh, perhaps sort of things like, you know, crime or whatever that of course that's going to happen you know how will that be dealt with uh will that produce any kind of you know backlash will there be any momentum to a sort of anti-immigration political movement which doesn't really exist at the moment you know outside of sort of very extreme you know tiny tiny parties um you know on the fringes of politics uh so we you know this is a big experiment that's going to be happening and um, that's very interesting to you know to report and to write about
1: yeah yeah uh the discourse is totally different from the west because the west doesn't doesn't have to deal with the the issue of aging population right so in framing it in terms of necessity in japan like you said the Abe administration is able to get this this bill passed without too much difficulty um and in terms of sort of generating a national consensus uh, especially in you know I've only lived here for for six years right which is a very short period of time in the in the grand scheme of things but even just mm. in these six years anecdotally the way that Japanese people um, consider foreigners living in their society has changed drastically their perception of foreigners and moving forward the the idea that Japanese society if it's going to maintain its uh its standard of living its gdp then it Mm. is totally dependent on foreigners who are going to come in and and fill these jobs right um yeah so that's been really that's been really interesting for me and so there's it's it's i don't know if i could call it a a new respect but there is certainly there's certainly a a major change in the way that japanese people are now looking at at the foreigners who are going to come in and uh it's changed from an idea of of potential cultural strife and and whether japanese people are going to be able to make that change to like you said a more social socially integrative approach what can we do to to make a win-win situation out of what is you know, undeniably going to uh, a, a future of hardship <laughs> um, with with this uh, with this sort of demographic exigencies facing Japan right now. So that'll be interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. One one of the things you mentioned was the changes that Japan has faced now uh, or, or sorry, of the changes you've noticed ap- upon returning to Japan, one of those being foreigners. Right. Now, you yeah. lived outside of Japan for ten years, half spent in Singapore and the remainder in South Korea. Have you noticed mm. any other changes rather than outside of just the, the influx of foreigners?
2: Yeah, I mean on the it's interesting coming back after a decade and going back to where I first lived in, in Japan in in Totori Prefecture and you do really feel the economic decline um in the uh, rural parts of japan Mm. uh and the town that i lived in yonago um in the west of toto prefecture yeah um you know it really felt like it had fallen on economic hard times i mean there was um you know the main shopping mall area the shotengai right you know is there's lots of stores which have you know basically closed down Mm. um you know the, the 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 people walking around seem to be older uh, now you know my it's a long It it's 25 years ago that that i lived there so right. um you know my memory is probably not not perfect but it certainly did feel like uh it was more of a you know it's not it's not depressed by say you know western standards of inner cities and whatever it's not like there's crime and uh um, you know it's a it's a terrible place to live right, right it's just that you know the the gradual economic slowdown has hit these places really hard um, yeah and you know totori prefecture is uh, one of the most rural places and you know when uh, young people um, you know are looking for jobs uh, they tend to migrate to the to the bigger cities and that's uh, because of the low birth rate uh, that's just meant there's a bunch of old people left there which is you know no disrespect to to people that, that are still there but it's essentially the way it, it felt when I, I went back there so mm. um, you know contrast that with uh, um, you know rush hour in place like Tokyo or Nagoya or Osaka you know it feels like there's a million people on your train right uh, you don't really sense the 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 sort of um, <laughs> uh, the, the the sort of the uh, the demographic decline right right um you, um, you wish for like a, a little
1: of... uh a little more uh decreasing population when you're on the Yamanote. yeah <laughs> so, definitely yeah. definitely
2: it would be nice if the uh <laughs> if the
1: slow down had, had
2: hit uh, the rush hour trains as well yeah. um yeah so the contrast between you know the the provinces and the cities mm. um is is pretty stark now and you know there are some some parts of japan of course where they they're having to like you know close schools and you know merge uh, administrative districts just because they don't really have enough people, right? Um, you know to sort of justify running a particular town, so they have to merge it with another town. Um, so that's pretty um, drastic stuff. And you know, again, as a journalist, that's in a very interesting story to cover, <clears throat> and that may. Um, you know it has implications for western societies which are going through a process of, mm. of of slowing birth rates um and you know will they be looking at japan as as a um a way to learn about what their futures may be
1: that's actually that's a good point because in terms of the immigration you know, japan is able to look at the west and and potentially learn from the mistakes of countries that were that openly embraced immigration from the start, right? Um, mm. And now Japan has gone ahead and, you know, s- sort of preceded their their Western counterparts in terms of these sort of demographic issues that we just that we just alluded to. So, yeah, it mm. is interesting that then um, perhaps Japan will become the model for societies, uh, spe- especially in Europe, right? I don't believe the, the U.S., right now i believe the the population is still growing uh um, right right but in europe many societies they they do predict that they're going to uh peak out uh yeah. in the near future yeah so it's going it's going to be interesting that japan will sort of yeah uh potentially provide provide a model uh look moving forward yeah
2: yeah it's you know the 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 way one way to think of it is is how do you manage immigration you need you will everyone will need immigration at least, you know, developed countries that are having population decline will need, will need immigration. How do you manage it? Right. You know, the kind of open border approach has produced, you know, populism, backlash, um, anti-immigration political parties. Um, how do you, when you when you need it, how do you manage it well? Mm. And Japan is sort of a test case for that. Yeah. And will it manage it well? Maybe it won't. Maybe this will be, you know, a disaster, and maybe uh you know this will have unintended consequences right um you know maybe, maybe it's not enough maybe they're too strict maybe they're too reluctant to you know allow people to sort of live and flourish here and that that will ultimately backfire on them yeah um but we're at the beginning of this experiment that will give some new data about how to deal with the issue of immigration and i think it's fair to say that as much as immigration is a huge global issue now right uh, in the west it will continue to be uh for the decades to come Mm -hmm. and you know people may look at japan and say well let's just not make the big mistakes they made um but i think you have to you know give some credit to japan for sort of thinking about how do you do it in a way which um you're you're trying to avoid the nasty consequences of of the west Um, absolutely and and there's some skepticism about you know trying when you're trying to integrate people from a different culture into into your own culture you know you people really need to engage in the you know on 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 japan's side and say okay we've really got to sort of dig in and help people and so the government is you know wants there to be sort of community community center type places with training for language and culture and customs like that customs things like that right. and that's yes. there you know there are a lot of people who are um you know very willing to help with that and i think japan has a sort of great volunteer mentality to to help out with things like that mm. but will it go right or will you know will will they sort of it, it will there be so much red tape that people get bogged down with that which is kind of happens you know quite often in japan with um, administrative yeah. burden yeah. being over, overwhelming so that's possible as well um you know but you have to sort of be flexible and be able to tweak the system if it's not working so yeah yeah, yeah really really interesting times
1: yeah, well, um, I think I think you're you're right in your assessment of the fact that they are approaching it in what seems to be a much more calculated way than many other uh, sort of Western societies have. If you take yeah. the discourse in the United States, for example, you have Trump and the right, which sort of frames the narrative as. They're coming from from below and they're going to, you know, rape our women and steal our jobs and different things like that. Right. And then the the left in the United States sort of frames it as there is nothing wrong with immigration and all immigrants are going to contribute to American society in exactly the same way. And and Mm. this is this is a good. Right. Mm. And and neither of those are really helpful. Right. Sure. Um, In Japan, uh, you know prior to the this bill has and and even then they don't even refer to this as an immigration policy which is which that's taboo yeah Yeah. it's an interesting linguistic tactic by the abe administration because they they know that using the word immigration will inevitably uh cause some some social backlash now yeah um yeah, but in terms of, as you said, it's just a few inches at this point, they are, uh, they're, they're laying down sort of the, the political infrastructure to let in workers, but they're doing so at a very, a very calculated pace. Right. And they can avoid things like what happened in Germany under Merkel and different things where a million, Mm -hmm. a million foreigners enter the country overnight and people are absolutely overwhelmed. So it'll be interesting to see, again, how they tweak the system moving forward because it's uncharted territory. And so there, there's yeah. definitely going to be growing pains. There's definitely going to be un, unintended consequences. But it'll be interesting to see five years down the road how well they have adapted and adjusted the system yeah. uh, and, and potentially, you know, turned it into something of great economic and social, uh, you know, positivity. It'll be interesting to see.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, there, you know, the other thing is, well, there's a lot we don't know about the future.
1: Right, right right I mean, <laughs> you can't um particularly
2: when it comes to uh the macro economy and you know what japan's needs will be and what the available technology will be because uh ai, AI robotics plays into this as well and you know I've, some of the research i've been doing is looking into what the impact of that will be uh for japan's needs in terms of workers and the mitsubishi research institute uh yeah. has um uh, put out a paper which was very interesting that said essentially that japan's blue-collar worker shortage will uh disappear or or the the, the there'll be no need for more blue-collar workers in about 30 years time because all those jobs yeah. will essentially se- covered by technology mm. um uh, actually no shorter than 30 years i mean probably in the next two decades wow uh so that Argues in favour of a pretty restrictive, um, you know, immigration uh, policy. Mm. Restrictive in the sense that you don't have a sort of open-ended inflow of people. Right, right. And I think I think that's been factored into, you know, the the calculations um, in what Japan is doing. Uh, and maybe that, maybe the, you know, maybe that uh, forecast about AI and uh, robotics and everything is wrong, and you know, it's going to take much longer. Um, but yeah, they've given themselves the ability to tweak the system. I mean, the other aspect of this is, um, you know, and this has been raised in the political debate, is that there are other countries that will also need um, foreign workers, such as, yeah. versus, you know, South like Korea. South Korea, yeah. Taiwan, China, even, even China. <laughs> right. Yeah, China, you think with all their gazillions of people, <laughs> you don't really think they're going to have a labor shortage. Yeah, But they will because uh, they are now facing the same demographic. Pressures, and they have, you know, one of the ingredients to this problem, you know, for Japan is sort of affluency of people, you know, the the middle class, all these people, you know, that don't want to do the kind of the 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 three Ds, right? Well, right. Dirty, da- dangerous, and um, demanding. Is that? I forgot Perhaps, what the other is. Well, they refer to yeah. the
1: Japanese as the three three Ks as well. Right, kitanai, right, kitanai, right. kitsu, and kiken. Right, kiken. Yeah, right, so.
2: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever those are in Ds, uh, so, so the, um, so China will have this problem as well, because they have a very, they'll have a large middle class that don't want to do the three Ds or the three Ks. Right. Um, so you have countries in sort of competition with each other for, for foreign workers. So Japan may have got it all wrong
0: mm-hmm.
2: and may have, it may have, it may turn out that they will have to, or they should have, uh, had a much stronger incentive structure such as allowing people to come with their families and stay indefinitely um, and here's a nice you know support financial package to get you going at the start and right, they should have done right. it. Uh, and you know I think they'll probably fill the quota of whatever three hundred and forty thousand they're expecting for this first round of, of immigration but it may be that you know the people that are trying to bring in from places like Nepal and Vietnam will go wait a minute you know I'd rather go to Taiwan because they you know, it looks like a much better life there, and they treat you more like a human being. Right. Uh, so there's there's that aspect as well. Um, yeah. And you know, it's 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 near impossible to to be sure that you're going to have it right. In fact, it is impossible. I don't think you can know that uh, this is going to work out well. Um, but is Japan going to be nimble enough to deal with things as 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 they change and as the demand, you know, picture becomes clearer and as the pressures? From other countries, you know, become clearer as well. So, yeah, really interesting.
1: It's a good. It's a good point. Uh, Japan's status within East Asia, in terms of international relations and various other sort of uh, the the geopolitics of this region, I think it, you're exact. You're you're exactly right in pointing out that that's going to affect whether they will be able to uh, pull in the the number of workers that they that they deem necessary now in in terms of japan's standing uh not just within east asia but with, with the west as well we have a currently a very interesting interesting uh international drama playing out um and we you alluded to this at the start uh being the arrest and detention of the former chairman of Nissan, Carlos Ghosn. Right. Now, you yourself have not sunk your teeth into this story yet. You are not reporting on this story, I believe.
2: Right, I myself am not because I was actually away when this all broke. And a team was was assembled which had been doing fantastic reporting on this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I came back and, you know, as a journalist, you want to be involved in the big stories. Uh, But I was told, uh, just to cover everything else, because uh, you know there was still still other news happening. Right. Um, but anyway, I was not. I'm I'm uh, observing it with admiration of what my colleagues are doing, mm-hmm. and you know con- I have to contribute a little bit uh, when people are on on holiday. But anyway, I'm not directly involved in it. But it's. I think it's one of the biggest, most important stories to come out of Japan. Certainly this year, maybe in the last five, ten years, mm-hmm. because it has big implications for in in many areas, you know, such as um, executive pay in Japan, of course, right. is much lower than than global levels. And that's what's precipitated this, the Ghosn arrest. Uh, it has implications for, you know, Japan's legal system, you know, there's been criticism, mainly from outside of Japan of the way that Ghosn and uh, his right hand man, Greg Kelly, have been held, essentially without access to family or or to lawyers during the, the question when they're being questioned by prosecutors, right. uh, it has implications for Nissan itself. You know, um, what did it know of this alleged wrongdoing and didn't say anything about? Um, you know, does there have to be a major ho- overhaul of that company and how will that affect its business? And right. you know, it's one of one of the the sort of dynamos for Japan in the auto industry. Um, you know, and, and will, will foreign CEOs or foreign executives all leave Japan because they're worried about getting arrested? Right. You know, in Japan, will Japan be able to attract global talent? And is Japan, um, you know, in sync with kind of global standards in the way that uh, uh, it, it regulates and, and treats um, executives? So I think it's a, it's a story which will probably run for, you know, months and years really you know we're only at the beginning because um carlos gohn is still being questioned and he's we know he's going to remain in detention at least until 1st of january and then there's a whole presumably there's a trial that 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 happens and that will be a huge drama so um uh Fascinating stuff. I think I probably will end up being pulled into it in some <laughs> some area because everyone's covering it right now. will just get exhausted. Well, it's uh, such but a, any, a anyway. huge
1: story, yeah. So many, so many yeah. different facets to cover, right? Right,
2: um, right. Do
1: you have people in in France right now? Uh, yeah, we the do. We the have French angle. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, we have people in France covering it. We, you know, this is a truly international story because um, there's one. Uh, sort of charge against Gone that he misused company money for personal um, expenses, right. and that he had properties in Beirut, in uh, Brazil, uh, I think in uh, Amsterdam as well, mm-hmm. um, that were being you know he used he were for 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 personal use but it was basically nissan's money that was being spent on it so we've we've actually we've had reporters fanning out around the world trying (laughs) to chase down all this um information and talk to people and we had we had a big story it was four thousand words which is really long for us yeah um published a couple of weeks ago now called the fall of the house of gone and one of the one of the people interviewed that in there was a hairdresser in beirut who lived who's who's i guess is who's uh Um, barbershop or whatever is over the road from, you know, like within view of Carlos Ghosn's house. He was, he was talking about the, uh, um, you know, the limousines that sort of pull up at the house and things like that. So we have, (laughs) uh, we have, we have people talking to hairdressers around the world about this.
1: (laughs) That's incredible. Uh, How do you see this playing
0: out?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, well, you just have to, you know, uh, look at the stats, right. For Japan's conviction rate for,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, where prosecutors generally don't take on cases unless they're pretty sure they're going to win them. Right. Um, and you know, what is it? 99.9% of cases result in a conviction. Yeah. So the, the odds are stacked against, um, you know, Gone and Kelly, Right. but they're putting, you know, but in most cases, uh, there's a confession and that's, um, you know that's what the prosecutors aim for, and that's why they keep uh, that's why they keep um, people being questioned for so long because they want to get a confession out of right. them. Right. And and Gronin and Kelly are just not. Uh, it seems at the moment it could change. Uh, are not um, going down that road, so they're putting up a very big fight, uh, and you'll see. You know some some pretty interesting uh, court drama. We're already seeing. Um, some sort of unprecedented developments because the Tokyo court turned down uh, prosecutors application to extend Ghosn's uh, detention under, under a, a separate charge which he he's now being detained under uh, a sort of a fairly arcane charge about um, derivatives manipulation so anyway mm-hmm. he's still in he's still in prison but there's been some pushback on the prosecutors even from the Tokyo court so anyway I think you know, we're gonna see a court drama at some point. We're gonna see um you know, Gone is himself is uh, he's a sort of larger than life character. Yeah. Uh, he undoubtedly will have things to say. Um once he's out of um of of jail. There'll be and then I don't know how I mean Japan court cases typically are, are fairly quick, but I think you'll see the shakeout of this um happen over months and I no doubt the government is gonna get sucked into this. They're trying to keep their distance and say, Well, it's nothing to do with us, we'll just let the legal um proceedings, you know, take their uh, natural course. Right. But I think I think um and I think people like the economy minister will sort of have to um be involved in this in, in some to some extent, you know, because I think it has fairly seismic effects for, you know, Japanese corporate culture mm-hmm. and um how Nissan is run. So it's kind of unpredictable right now um but i think there could be a lot of um you know there could be things like the nissan board all has to resign or something like that i mean you don't really want to speculate um on uh, what's going to happen but i think there'll be some 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 major changes here
1: yeah yeah that's a good point um regarding speculation there uh, i think it's absolutely a, a reasonable uh, prediction or at least it's not outside the, the realm of possibility because the chances that they had known about this but not acted on it or reported on it seem quite high from an outsider's perspective right yeah uh, and it's interesting to see you know this story originally broke what uh, a m- a month ago? 10th. okay yeah yeah so three weeks ago right um, and at that time the Japanese press was essentially operating under an, assum- an assumption of guilt, right? right. <laughs> that that gone and Kelly uh, were guilty of the, of the crimes they were accused of. Now, over time, that has, it's, it still seems very accusatory. It's gotten a bit, it seemed to have gotten a bit more emotional rather, mm. rather than fact-based. But I think that's just because, you know, when a story like this drags on for so long, if you don't have new facts coming out on a regular basis, then it tends to it tends towards the uh, the opinions, uh, the uh, the yeah. opinions style of writing, the editorial style. But sure. um, yeah. How have you, you mentioned? You know, you're tracking down people in France all over the world. Do you, as a as a Western pop, uh, publication, did you find the Japanese media's initial reaction to this? maybe a bit presumptuous?
2: Well, it's, it's you know, it's shone a, a light on what happens in the cases of people being accused of crimes in Japan and how that's reported because what you have seen in the Japanese press is uh, essentially, um, you know, a series of stories, daily stories with um, new details about what the prosecutors are saying that uh, these two men um did and why right. it's pro- problematic and it's a very you know it's it's essentially you know leaks from the prosecutors uh they do have uh, they do provide um briefings to the japanese press um that you know give some details but most of the most of the sort of headline coverage has been um from you know unnamed Uh, people who are saying and here's a new thing that we found that they did that was problematic and (laughs) here's here's what we're (laughs) looking into now and you've not really seen you know you've essentially just seen um, the Japanese press reporting the accusations against against the men Um, and arguably that's not you know that's that's one-sided so this has presented an interesting situation for us because we don't have the same um, ability to Uh, get this information from the prosecutors that the Japanese press do and one of the reasons for that is that the Japanese press work under a press club system where you have to be a member of the club Mm -hmm. um, to get access uh, to um, certainly the 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 formal briefings with the prosecutors but that also gives you a way in to talk to them kind of in stairwells and in coffee shops and things like that right Um, right because you because they build up a relationship with the people in in the prosecutor's office so they work um in a sort of symbiotic way where the prosecutors give something to the to the report the japanese reporters and they'll publish it and that sort of helps build a, a case against the men in the public's mind uh, and that also sells you know newspapers or subscriptions to websites or whatever um so that works quite well for them and so what we've been doing is trying to find out of course what the men are being accused of that's the you know the primary story here um but also trying to report this from all angles and including you know what is uh, what are the families of these men saying and what are the lawyers for these men saying and frankly they're not actually saying very much right um they've they've you know certainly the lawyer for carlos Gone here in japan has not wanted to talk to the to the press you know we did publish a story a few days ago which was um uh, statement, a video statement from the wife of Greg Kelly, who's uh, Carlos Ghosn's right-hand man, Yeah, um, you know, laying out what she thought had happened here. And, um, you know, we've um, been reporting from inside Nissan about how there's been, you know, there was frustration with, with Ghosn and how they wanted, um, you know, um, there may have been a sort of kind of conspiracy against him. Uh, so we've tried to do it in a fair and balanced way from all angles. And, you know, that's, there's been some good reporting on the Japanese side and certainly want to know what the men are being accused of. Um, but you could argue that the reporting has not been as well-rounded and, and, you know, fair to the men as it could have been.
1: Mm. Do you think that that is a general trend in Japan? The in the Japanese press or do you think this is maybe unique because of the magnitude and the international implications of this story?
2: Well, I think it it's a sort of highlights a structural problem with the press club system because um, if you're in the press club, uh, you get acts, privileged access to information and you don't, you know, you, um, if you kind of try and be a bit more creative you might risk your access right right. uh, and you might not be able to you know get the same story or better story that your rivals in other Japanese news publications have got so there's kind of a a structural incentive to just go with what the what you're being told by the figures of authority in this case the prosecutors um, are saying to the to the press club and doing that and just kind of telling that side of the story, you know, makes sure that you stay, you you know, you continue to get that access and you continue to stay in the press club. So right. it's a it's a way, it's quite a clever way for the media to be essentially you know controlled because uh, they're all herded into this uh, club system and they don't want to lose that uh, access because you do get stories. Right. So right. it means if you're going to write something which um raises questions about what uh in this case the prosecutors are saying you know that creates a some tension and you um you know you may not get the same access as before so it's a a press club system is has a um you know a structural incentive uh to say what the figures of authority is, uh, to publish what the figures of authority are telling you and fundamentally believe that that's a bad thing mm. um, for the press to um, be kind of trapped in that situation. You, you know, you should, um, you know, you should be pushing on all sides and questioning everyone. And, you know, wherever the facts lead, if that creates an uncomfortable situation for the, for your news sources and you've essentially show that they're telling information that is, is not reliable or you, you know, you um, know, Uh, you sort of discover that uh, there's a much stronger case against them uh, and you want to report that, but you sort of feel that that might undermine your access in the future, then that's a really bad thing for your your readers. And that's ultimately the way that we think about covering things is the most important people are the readers and that they get the right information. And if you are being steered in one direction and you don't want to miss out on things, then you're not doing a full, complete job as a journalist.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's an excellent point. And the the Kisha Krabu, the reporters' club that you mentioned, is it uh, it's an interesting microcosm of Japanese society in certain ways. Um, it speaks to certain cultural values. I don't know if you're familiar right. with the expression "deru, deru kuyu wa utareru which is roughly translated right. to English as the nail that sticks out, gets hammered down." Right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And this is, you know, perfectly, uh, true for these, these reporting re- journalist clubs. Right. Um, yeah. in that they're fed the information, um, and they are, they have to report it as such. And anyone who then doesn't fall in line, you know, doesn't get called back next time or sort of loses those privileges. Right um right right
2: i mean it's not it's not like they're being forced to report it but they the incentives are so strong that they feel compelled to report it yeah well Um, it's a system that runs on
1: its own inertia right once once that relationship gets started um yeah (laughs) and then you know everything in japan is is sort of based on you know you learn from your superior and those who came before you and that sort of you know that style of Getting the story, then reporting on it, uh, in the way that um, I guess you are, you are sort of instructed from from authority figures that j- then just gets yeah. passed on. Do you think there's? Do you think there's any that 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 can change over time?
2: Well, I mean, there's there are some attempts at um, you know charting different courses. Um, in media coverage, you know there are, of course, there are the weekly news magazines here, you know, shukan Shu and um, right. shincho places like that, that you know exist outside these systems, and there are sort of various media startups mm-hmm. um, that that try to do things differently. I mean, the the problem is, you know, economics in in most of these cases that um, media is not a growing industry it does not have a lot of money in it we're reaching a point i think where you know there's some degree of stability and um you know people the public is more willing to pay for news than there used to be in and, and japan is actually a great example of where people are willing to pay for quality news i mean our japanese language website is profitable mm. um you know and and the amuri Shimbun, of course is the world's best-selling you know newspaper and i think all the japanese newspapers are in the top 10 or so of Um, So people, you know, there is a willingness to to pay for media. Right. So it's not it's not as bad as it is, say, in the US with uh, just incredible, um, you know, shakeout of particularly of local news organizations that have local newspapers that have struggled financially. But the the bottom line is the bottom line, you know, to make money, to make money, you have to have the stories, you know, you have to have get people to um want to pay for your magazine or or your website or at least you know if you're an ad based model you have to draw the advertisers because you've, you know, you can say that you've had a million people click on your website so a million people are going to eyeball your ad right and that's just that's just really hard to do for for smaller news organizations um you know in the in the case of ads you know the big newspapers mostly have those lucrative contact uh, contracts um you know for sort of blue chip companies that pay lots of money to put ads in papers although that's you know withering away to some extent right so it's 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 very hard to do to do something different in the media and be financially successful Mm. so if you are if you're going to say we're going to work outside the press club system we're not just you know we're just not going to report all the the stuff that um you know is on the front pages of the other media but we're going to look for we're going to look for what we think is the real story or the, the the undermines the kind of official narrative on things. Um, You're facing a really big task, firstly, to get that story. Um, Japan is, you know, people generally reluctant to talk to the media here. There's not so much of um, a willingness to sort of talk off record on things as, as the jargon goes to have a sort of casual conversation about things, Yeah, you know, you know generally if your media you have to you know people say oh we well, have to send us a faxed application to interview <laughs> someone and it has to be official shoes yeah um there's a degree of a huge amount of formality in in operating in the media here so to to do something different and to be be able to pay the rent and pay wages for people to do that is exceptionally hard and um, i think that's the problem here um, but places like you know the the weekly news magazines take a different course and they've been relatively relatively successful I've had some some great stories and you know scoops and occasionally some sort of big misses um, so there's the sort of entrenched media and the and the startups um, but there's kind of no real um, kind of mix of those things right uh, that, that, that are willing to sort of really challenge authority i mean some of the newspapers here are more willing to do that than others but essentially it's the same model for all of them
0: yeah
1: okay great well i would i could continue talking to you on these subjects for hours but you know we we got to wrap this up eventually so uh thanks again for sure no problem it's been yeah i've really enjoyed talking to you um it's great to have have someone you know with a, a western perspective who is still so well informed on japan um there are not many um are not many people like you so uh if you wouldn't mind sharing uh are you on social media etc where can people find i am
2: you? i you know i try to do less of that because it just um i find uh social media um <clears throat> it's kind of essential um but it also drives you a bit nuts anyway necessary I am, evil I'm a, yeah. I'm a, yeah necessary evil <laughs> For I'm, a journalist. I'm on uh Yeah, I'm on Twitter, just my name, Alastair Gale, one word. Uh, That's basically where I occasionally will, these days I tend to just tweet stories that we've written. Um, I find Twitter a bit of a sort of morass of people sort of preening and, uh, you know, signaling their virtues and things like that. I think that's Uh, exactly
1: what it is. Yeah. But, But yeah, for a journalist, I think, like you said, it is a bit of a necessary evil. So for those of yeah, you, you have who to are be on there. Twitter, uh, go find Alistair and uh, pay some love to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, he's Yeah, doing, please subscribe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're doing a good job over here. You're fighting the, the journalistic fight. So keep fighting the good fight. And uh, thanks. A yeah, lot. yeah, I, I look forward to maybe talking to you again in a half a year, or a year's time and seeing how all this played out.
2: Yeah, yeah. it would be interesting to watch. Thanks so much for having me yeah, on. Yeah,
1: thanks again. All right. Have a good day.
2: OK, thanks, Elliot. Bye. Bye.